Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Ross. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whatever are you tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Ross. To be guys, we explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from Our Missouri. Welcome to the second half of Season 6. And for this second half, we're going to focus on some recent books in Missouri history in a series we'll call On the Bookshelf. Our guest today is Joseph Beeline Jr. If that name sounds familiar, you might remember that he previously appeared in episode 37, talking about his book Bushwhackers, and episode 45, remembering the legacy of Michael Fellman's Inside War. He holds a PhD in history from the University of Missouri and presently serves as an associate professor of history at Penn State Erie, the Barron College. He is the author of Bushwhackers, Guerrilla Warfare, Manhood, and the Household in Civil War, Missouri, the editor of William Gregg's Civil War, The Battle to Shape the History of Guerrilla Warfare, and the co-editor of The Civil War Guerrilla, Unfolding the Black Flag in History, Memory, and Myth. His new book, A Man by Any Other Name, William Clark Quantrill and the Search for American Manhood, is published by the University of Georgia Press. Welcome back to our Missouri, Joe. It's great to be here, Sean. Thanks for having me. So we've kind of gone through a couple of your other projects before and in past episodes here, but let's talk a little bit about William Quantrill. Where does this origin uh, for this book project really start for you? Well, um, yeah, as you alluded to, uh, I've been, you know, sort of knee deep in uh, the gorillas here for my entire academic career. So I was really familiar with, with Quantrill and with the guys who he led and that whole system of guerrilla warfare that he really, you know, comes to sort of uh, take the reins of. So I, 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 you know, was, was as familiar with him as I could be without wanting to really write a biography about him. Uh, but uh, one of my colleagues in the field, a guy named Matthew Holbert, who's done some work on, on guerrillas and, and uh, stuff in, in Missouri civil war, he uh, kept prompting me to do it. And I really did not want to do it. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. I, Quantrill is a very scary figure to take on because he is so iconic uh, one way or the other, right? The people that see him as a hero see him as a hero, and they're never going to, you know, change their view. And the people that see him as a demon in human form, you know, feel very much the same way. Uh, and that's not a fun project to take on if you're thinking about it that way, uh, because I don't want to get into that fight one way or the other. But then one day or one, you know, evening, I'd been sort of like thinking about it, and I realized that there was a way to do it. And this probably would have been like 2017, maybe something like that where, uh, I mean, the, I'll tell you the details. I was, I think I was staying up late uh, watching uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, uh, which if you've ever seen it, is the most like, it's a, it's a great Western, but it's sort of an anti-Western Western. And I don't know if it was that or something else I'd been thinking about, but uh, I realized I could tell the story of Quantrill and do it in a very different sort of way. I could ground it much more in the West before the war, you know, really look at his whole life. I could really think about him as a man at a time when there's all sorts of competing types of manhood, you know, uh, at play, uh, and really just kind of get a better sense of who he actually was, and then take on his decisions that he made, his motivations for making them, you know, and and all of that. So 
it's a long answer, but um, the long and short of it was uh, that, you know, I, I, I probably had been thinking about it on one side of my brain for a long time. And it wasn't until that, you know, that light switch flipped in 2017 or so that I really jumped in. What materials do you consult for, for a biography about Quantrill? Someone who, I mean, as you referenced in the book, you know, is referenced in different elements of, of popular culture, not only in kind of how we remember things like sports rivalries in, in, in a state like Missouri, but also in, in a movie like True Grit, where, where John Wayne's character is, is referencing writing with Quantrill. I mean, how do you cut through the myth-making of him or the stories of him to kind of get into the materials that tell you about who he actually is. Yeah, it's it, it that that of course is a challenge, um, but it's not one that we you know as 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 trained historians are unfamiliar with, um, especially when it comes to something like the Civil War, where you know so much of the Civil War is mythology. So if you're in this profession, you spend so much of your time sifting through things like the Lost Cause or you know the myth of the Short War, these different romantic you know sort of visions of the of the Civil War. And, and really what I wanted to do was not, I did not want to spend a biography parsing fact from fiction. That has never been fun for me. I wanted to, yeah, I, I wanted to point out, obviously, where things are true and where we absolutely know something. And I wanted to show the reader where I doubted, you know, something to be true. But I also wanted to talk about the myths, you know, and get into the myths. And so there's different points, you know, in the book where I'm, you know, dealing with the memoirs of of different gorillas, you know, and I might be able to say, well, this guy, his story seems legit, this other story isn't. But what does this story that we don't necessarily believe, what does it potentially tell us, though, about what the gorillas thought was happening to them? You know, so a great example is the, the, the black flag. Did they actually use a black flag when they rode into battle? No, most likely not. But why did they, why were they so consumed with that idea? So, you know, playing with the myth, myth is, is uh, um, it's helpful. And I think it tells us a lot about the war, even if we know it wasn't, it wasn't true. Now, there are a lot of good sources available for Quantrill. It's not as great as it would be for like Ulysses S. Grant, right? Who has, you know, this huge bureaucracy at his disposal and that he's a part of. And then also he leaves his memoirs behind. Um, Quantrill doesn't do that. But it's way better than most, you know, people who participated or, or lived through the Civil War. So there's some letters that he um, that survived from before the war to his mother, uh, a couple friends, his sister, um, a short one to his brother. Um, and then during the war itself, you know, there's there's a lot of newspaper uh, coverage of him. There's a lot of union reports that are that are covered uh, that cover his actions, you know, from the opposing side. And then there's a number of guerrilla memoirs that mention, you know, uh, whatever the whoever the guerrilla was, William Gregg or whoever their uh, time with Quantrill. So um, it's like I said, it, it's not Lincoln, but it's also not, you know, your typical average person who who lived and died without leaving much of a much of a record. So we do have some factual stuff as we sort of like, you know, parry and spar with those with those myths that are out there. And thinking about Quantrill, you kind of referenced there in, in different elements of the, kind of how he is remembered. How have scholars or even you could say the general public viewed Quantrill's life um, up until the point of your book? Uh, kind of how are these secondary sources writing of him and speaking of him? Yeah, that's good. That's a good question. And it's always an important one when we're talking about, um, you know, how, a, how you're sort of positioning your your book. I would say the easiest way to conceptualize that that historiography or or the you know the sort of biographical camps 
uh, is that there's there's biographers that see Quantrill as bad and bad to his like, you know, I almost said bad to the bone, but bad, you know, to to his to his essence. And primarily what we're talking about there, who we're talking about is there was a um, a really good amateur historian. I think if he had been born 20 years later, he would have been a professional historian. But William E. Connolly, who really left his mark on the history of 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 Kansas, he wrote about everything from like the Native American tribes to early settlers um, and also got into the, the war a lot. So William E. Connolly wrote a book in 1909, and his is, I think, the best research, including my own. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because he was the first person to really do research. Uh, he did, you know, he did oral, you know, uh, history. He interviewed people. He sent, you know, letters to people and got letters back, you know, with their accounts of the war and of Quantrell. He went into the archives and did research, you know, uh, all sorts of stuff. And he gathered this huge collection. And so even though, you know, I like to think that that my work is 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 excellent. A lot of my work actually comes from sort of like pilfering, you know, all of the records that he left behind, especially the ones that he didn't use. And so he he's the one that really establishes the Quantrell is a bad dude. He was not just bad during the war, but he I mean, he basically describes him as suffering from mental illness from the moment he's born, that basically he's sort of deranged. Uh, and then that is carried on by Albert Castell, who writes his book, William Clark Quantrell, His Life and Times. I think that's the title, uh, in the early 1960s, that he's the only other person to write an academic biography of Quantrill. And while Castells has very much sort of like the trappings of a, of a good professional history, he's basically, and I don't want to, you know, he's rest in peace, you know, we don't speak ill of the dead. Uh, but but in a lot of ways, Castell is just sort of repackaging what Connolly said, and sort of putting a more modern, more scholarly um, uh, uh, imprint upon it. So there's the bad camp. And then there's the good camp. And the good camp is really started by this guy named um, John Newman Edwards, who was a Confederate cavalryman and then wrote a book called Noted Guerrillas. He would constantly write apologies for the James brothers as they're going around robbing banks and murdering people. Uh, and so he really was the first to write a pro-Confederate uh, biography of, of Quantrill and his men. You'll still see some of that stuff today. There's a few neo-Confederates who have penned uh, a biography of Quantrill in the last you know, couple decades where it really is just, you know, um, this uh, uh, sort of pro-Confederate propaganda, you know, that he's this gallant warrior, uh, you know, this courageous guy who they make excuses for at every turn. But worse than that, they because Quantrill was born in the North, because he didn't own slaves, they also use him as a way to sort of claim that the war really wasn't about slavery, right? Look, this guy didn't own slaves, and yet he's fighting for the South. Or um, that, look, this guy could see the virtue of these people. He left the free soil side to come over to the, you know, because he knew that the free soilers were really the antagonists and join these pro-slavery people. So those are the two camps and there's nothing in between. It's, it's with the exception of maybe one book, a guy named Edward Leslie wrote a really good book that is pretty balanced and in the middle, but he's still dealing with the same dichotomy. Uh, you know, that it's, Quantrill's either good or bad. And, and uh, I really wanted to sort of break free uh, of that in my book. Something that's come up uh, especially a lot with kind of uh, Civil War history and Civil War focus has been this 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 turn towards the West. Uh, so much had been focused on the East in places like Virginia and Gettysburg and, and even into Atlanta and the, and, and the Eastern Seaboard. What does the West mean, not only in a scholarly interpretation, but also for your discussion of, of Quantrill as being someone very much 
uh, living in the West, someone with Westernness in some ways. What does this mean to Quantrill? What does this mean as, as you kind of describe it? Yeah, that, that's a that's a that's a great point, and it's a, and it is a, a timely point. Um, I do think we're in this sort of I don't know how long it's been going on exactly 10, 15 years, but you know where scholars are are reorienting themselves towards the West, or or maybe placing themselves in the West and looking at the war from that perspective. Uh, and and you know as you suggest, I mean I very much believe that that is how we should look at the war. Um, I think that the Eastern theater and all of those you know, terrible, you know, campaigns and the, the bloodletting at Gettysburg and Antietam and, you know, Chancellorsville, all these places deserve a lot of attention, uh, rightly so. And there was a lot of the country that was that was focused on that. But it misses this larger theme that is really sort of the theme of the whole 19th century for or much of the 19th century, which is America was looking west, right? It, your Your listeners will be familiar with manifest destiny, you know, that that hearing that concept. And this push, you know, to west to the west for you know cheaper or free land, um, you know, generation after generation, this sort of Jeffersonian idea, you know, that the country needs to expand through space as opposed, you know, through time. And so Quantrill is of that a, a generation that's very much oriented that way. He's born in Ohio, which is described by by a lot of historians as the Middle West, right? I mean, I think today we kind of call it the Midwest, but the Middle West, which would be Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, but also Kentucky and Missouri. Okay, so it's both sides of of, of the free and slave. What what would we call that boundary line there uh, with the Ohio River? So he's a part. Of, he's born in the Middle West. He lives in Indiana, Illinois at different times. Again, in the Middle West, growing up, and then he moves out to what we might call, you know, the frontier West. He moves out to Kansas when it's still a territory, uh, the borderlands uh, of of Kansas and Missouri, and spends time there. But he also then works as a teamster and crosses all the way over. The, the plains, the Rocky Mountains, and spends a few months in the Great Salt Lake Valley, and then tries to come back and 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 you know tries to to excavate for gold around Pikes Peak for a few months. So he's in the Rocky Mountains, you know, he's in the far the far west, and then ultimately he comes back to Kansas. So Quantrill's life is very much defined by being Western, whether we mean Western as in like you know the Ohio River Valley, or we mean Western as in you know, on the frontier, we mean Western, as in way past the frontier, you know, moving deep into uh, the plains and the and the Rocky Mountains. And along the way, um, you know, historians have made uh, these arguments um, that, you know, the, the, the environment is going to make an impact on who you are as you pass through these places. He, you know, he worked as a hunter and as a teamster, and so he's exposed to the elements. But the people, too, are also going to impact you. He lived amongst frontiersmen and gold miners and hunters and he absorbed a lot of that culture that they and that that those different senses of manhood um so that by the time the war starts he is not just western in the middle western sense but he's western in the sense of like i, I could live out on the plains forever and be just fine right i could live in the mountains i can hack it i have those skills i have that resolve uh and so it, the west very much sort of puts its imprint on him and then of course when the war starts a lot of his experience in the far west, in the in the, the the frontier west, impacts the way that he fights and the way that the guerrillas fight. I mean, the guerrillas are quite literally the descendants of Daniel Boone, right? And his and his people and all the other people. So they have this idea of being Western that's deep in their bones. But then Quantrell, who's who's not one of those people, but but has nevertheless gone out and really truly experienced in a way that they haven't, you know, moving through the Rocky Mountains in the middle of the winter time, um, will do that to you. But 
you know, he has experienced that. So he's bringing this. He has some experience with Indian combat, you know, on the losing end. He gets ambushed at, at one point. And so they really sort of bring this sort of Western or frontier approach to the way in which they're going to fight. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the Quantrell's War is very much one that comes from the West back into Missouri and then ultimately back into Kentucky, right? It sort of, you know, goes back and back and back. So that's sort of how I see the West, um, both as sort of a larger paradigm playing a role in his life and also like very personally how it affects him. People might know of Quantrill as, as, as this figure underneath the black flag there, certainly the, the kind of history and uh, a lot of information people might relate to him related to bushwhacking. But who was the William Quantrill that you encountered in, in a lot of these sources? I mean, this is a man, uh, as you kind of open the book, who has an encounter where someone knew him from a prior life. And it was very much different than the Quantrill they are encountering at that point in their time um, uh, later on. So who was William Quantrill? A simple yet complex question. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I'll give you the short answer <laughs> up front. And uh, this may frustrate some people. I'm not sure I know who Quantrill was. I mean, that is, I know that's an insane thing to say after spending like six years researching and writing a book, but it's kind of like, it's kind of the reality. And, and I'll give you a little bit of background here. So when I had my epiphany that I could write this book, the original way I conceptualized it was as like three or four biographies of different men. I was almost going to look at him at different point in his life and treat him as a completely different person. I was going to write that, you know, it was going to be one big chapter. I was going to put it down, walk away, come back and then write another one and really treat him as a different person. And, and if you researched him, if you've been in the weeds with his sources, I, at least I felt this way. I don't know if other biographers felt this way, but there were moments where I wondered, is is this the same guy that left and went over the Rockies? Uh, because the guy I'm reading letters from now doesn't sound like the same guy. But but then you you find evidence that it was, you know, that other people bumped into him and, and, and you know, he, he interacted with the same people and they didn't think he was a different person other than like his views had changed and, and whatnot. But but it is really hard to get a grasp on who Quantrill was if you want one, you know, Quantrill. So to, to, to answer your question in a little bit more complicated way, the way that I structured the book, not the, you know, it's not four separate biographies, but because that it was too experimental even for the University of Georgia press and on civil wars. Uh, but it, it's broken up into sections and then each section is a chapter and each chapter does try to isolate him in a moment in time. So as a student, as a teacher, as a hunter, as a, you know, uh, a, a confidence man, whatever it is, if we're going to look at it that way, there's 17 different Quantrills in this book. Uh, there's connections between them. Some of them are much more similar to others. But but the idea was here that, I mean, if we're getting to the philosophy of, of how we write biographies and stuff, is that, you know, a lot of times people write biographies and they unconsciously or subconsciously imprint a lot of themselves into the person they're writing about. And I'm sure I do that here on some level. Uh, but what I wanted to do is I wanted to create a book where as opposed to it's me imprinting myself on Quantrill, it's the reader who is imprinting themselves on Quantrill. In other words, you can read this book and and, and Sean, you might have, I, I actually am curious, I kind of want to know what, what you think here, but you could read this and you could say, man, the Quantrill who's out in Kansas at the very beginning, that really seems real and authentic to me. Or the Quantrill who burns Lawrence, that has got to be the real guy. Or the Quantrill who gets thrown out of his own guerrilla band, that's person I attach to. Or maybe there'll be three or four that you connect with. And I think that's actually going to tell the reader more about themselves or as much about themselves 
uh, as it will about Quantrell. But in the end, the Quantrell that they come away with will be theirs more than it will be mine. Because like I said, I'm not even sure I know who he is at this point. Yeah, I was really struck by the the kind of the poetry, the the educatedness of of Quantrill. But at the same time, can someone of that background who seems so, you know, in tune with the environment, with nature, can then turn and do the things that he is alleged and, and confirmed to have done is quite striking. Where where as kind of the the opening example was that he has the same look. He's a little more haggard because of being on the run and and being out in the forest. But his eyes and, and elements of his face are still very much the same as this other person who is so starkly different. Confusion as well of like this this person really does fit with these various interpretations. But then how can he do all this? How can it be all this? And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah it was it was a challenge. It was it was difficult. And that's, and, and that's a great I mean, and I think that sort of gets to the crux, the historiographical problem the crux right so if you have camps that are just good and bad what what i realized and, and maybe i knew this before i even started the book is that you know you kind of take the quantrill during the war which everybody knows and then you know if you're a neo-confederate you project that back onto his life before the war so everything that you know like it's all building to this moment where he's going to you know defend the south and and southern if you'd see like Lawrence, for instance, and all the awful things that happened at Lawrence, well, then you just project that onto the past, right? And you sort of, you cover up the nuance. But the reality is the Quantrell, who's a kid going to school, whose dad dies when he's young, who's just trying to figure it out as a teacher. He's a teacher when he's like 17, 18 years old. He's just trying to figure it out. That's not the exact same person who's, you know, helping the guerrillas burn down Lawrence, Right. It takes, you know, a lifetime to to change and to get there. So it's it's there's elements there, no doubt. Um, but but it's finding that combination of of nature and nurture, so to speak. Um, it's not just all nature, right? I mean, it's just not you're not born to become a killer. You're not born to become a pacifist. It's sort of you know your your society has a lot to do with that, and you have a lot to do with it as you navigate those those twists and turns. So I want readers to grapple with the fact that like. Oh shoot! This really good, quiet, educated kid who we trust with our with our kids it's at the schoolhouse, he went on to become one of the deadliest people in, in American history, right? Um, and so, and but even then, as as someone who's a guerrilla, you know, a, a, a guerrilla leader, he wasn't comfortable with what all the the other guerrillas were doing all the time, too. So, you know, it's it's tough and it's complicated, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to push a lot of this onto the reader and challenge the reader to come to grips with this complicated human being in a really complicated time in American history. I think it's a fair point. Is, is there any other kind of key themes you want readers to take away from the book as they go through it? Yeah. I mean, more than anything else, I want them to be entertained. I want them to just, you know, enjoy it. Um, you know, unlike a book like Bushwhackers, which, you know, is a more of a typical, you know, it's a, mon a historical monograph where I'm really, I'm I'm trying to make an argument, right? Um, it's a very much like closed, focused work. With this, th this is an open work. I I want people. Besides, I'm I'm you know I have a couple themes that that are important, um, but for the most part, I want people to read this and take what they can from it, but really sort of enjoy it and enjoy the ride. And maybe, you know, have enough questions about Quantrell to pick up another book about Quantrell or another book about the war in Missouri or another book about the Civil War. Uh, so in other words, I want to start a conversation. I don't want this to be like the 
I, you know, I don't believe in like definitive biographies or I, or I don't believe in writing them. I believe that they exist, <laughs> but, but I don't, I don't know how a person would want to do that or, or even do that. Um, they're much better probably historians than I am, but I wanted this to be a, an undefinitive biography. I want this to start a conversation. I want other people to get interested in Quantrill and the war in Missouri and all that. So that's kind of just what I want. Now, though you are located there up on uh, Lake Erie, you will be coming back to Missouri here shortly. Uh, talk a little bit about your your visit to the University of Missouri and, and what your presentation's on. Yeah, yeah. I, I got invited to come back. I'm, I'm looking at my my phone to remind myself of the, the exact date here. But yeah, I think we are, I'll be giving a talk there on February 19th, which I think is maybe President's Day. So I'm giving a talk along with another uh, scholar, Andrew Fialka who uh, was actually an undergrad at Missouri when I was a graduate student. He was actually my student at one point when I was a TA. And Andrew has gone on to get his PhD from the University of Georgia, and he also studies gorillas in Missouri. So they invited both of us back at the same time. So we're going to give sort of a, a dual talk, um, talking about our research, talking about, I would imagine we'll talk a little bit about our experience um, at, at the University of Missouri and sort of, you know, because that's really where our research started. And, and it should be a fun talk. It's a, I've never done a dual talk before, but we're, we're each going to do about 30 minutes. Uh, Andrew, I'll plug his work a little bit, um, although you should definitely have him on. He is, his book, his first book is coming out, and it's a graphic history. Uh, so it really sort of focuses on the massacre at Centralia and some of the stuff that happens in 1864. So I think a part of the idea is that we're both kind of doing different we have different approaches to the typical you know writing of history and 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 all of that so yeah so february 19th thanks very much for joining me today joe yeah absolutely sean it's always a pleasure i look forward to writing the next book so i can be on your podcast another <laughs> another time looking forward to it thank you for listening to the r missouri podcast if you would like to learn more about the podcast including past and future episodes information about guests and upcoming events please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri.